Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. This is what this morning's about. This morning is truly about worship, and the word I brought today is about worship, and it's about authentic worship. And I want to get straight into the word. Um, and let's have everybody stand up today real quick just for the reading of God's word. As we go to Genesis chapter 22, we got the thunder outside, but we got God's fire in this place. Hallelujah. Let's read Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, and we thank you for your word. For we know, God, it is a word for this season and this time for this church. And we pray today that as we prepare our hearts for what you have for us, that you, Lord, may instill a word in us, a seed, Father, that will be planted in fertile soil, Lord. And that you, God, may do a work in us. And that, we may, that what comes out of us may be worship, an authentic worship before you, Lord. We don't want to worship you with our lips, but with our hearts, Father. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A few months ago, um, we were getting ready to fur start furnishing our house all over again. It's been um, about, we've been married for 13 years, and um, it's been about 11 years we live in our house, and we bought everything 11 years old, so the fridge started to break the, the TV started to break, um, the, the AC started to break, and I, nobody told me I had to clean some coils, so I'm like, I didn't clean the coils for 10 years, you know, and, and so I had an AC guy go in there, and uh, I, had, I need an AC expert to fix that, but as we started to remodel the house, um, one of the things that we bought was a couch, and we were like, you know, it's time to get rid of our ugly yellow couches and put some, some nice new modern ones, and so we bought them, we looked up online, and me trying to get a good deal, like I always do. I mean, we went to the store and we found the couch we loved. And um, but uh, so I said, uh, honey, let's go ahead and let me get this online because I know how to shop online and I know how to get good deals and all that. So I looked online and because of me and because of, uh, of me trying to find a good deal when that when those couches got home and we opened up the box immediately as the box was open, I said, this is a fake leather couch. I was sold. 
I was told this was going to be an authentic leather couch, top grain leather. And as soon as I opened it up, it didn't smell like leather. Because I know what leather smells like when you open it up or when you open up that car for the very first time. And that car, new car smell, that leather smell, just, it just comes right out of that car. You can smell it uh, many feet away. And um, I, call it that, I call that leather fleather. It's fake leather. And, and so the, cou- the, the couches that we got were fake. And I know maybe, maybe women here in this place, you guys can spot a fake coach purse a mile away. And, 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 and I'm not saying that you need to have the right or the real thing to be accepted. But I'll tell you, you women are really good at that. You're like, oh, that's a fake one. That's a fake one. But there's some women in here that they buy the real thing. They spend hundreds of dollars on a purse they carry around. And, and, and that's, that's a great thing. But it's got to be the real thing for it to be called coach. And um, sometimes women walk around with a fake diamond on their finger. And I'll tell you that, men, you got to get the real thing. You got to get the one that's been pressurized, been put through the fire, that sparkles and shines all day long. And uh, not by these fake stones, but by the real thing. And I'll tell you, worship is the same thing. Worship is something that goes through the fire. It's something that must go through pressure. And the real thing comes out. The real worship comes out in us. And I'll tell you, the songs we play are good, but it's not worship. I'll tell you, the preachings that, that are preached up here are good, but that's not worship. These are simply instruments that we use to enter into worship. Authentic worship truly starts in the heart. That's where it originates. And you can sing as loud as you want. You can preach your heart out. And you can play your instruments. You can do all the dancing you want in the world. And it doesn't mean that you've had one ounce or even one moment of worship. And and the Pharisees... They worship with their lips, the Bible says, but their hearts were far away from God. So it's possible to give lip service to God. It's possible to come here on Sunday morning or even try to worship at your house and just do some singing along to songs. But if there's no worship in the heart, it's not real. It's not authentic. It's not true worship. Just because you do it doesn't necessarily mean that you have worshiped. And I thank God for the singing. I thank God for playing. I thank God for the worship band. But I'll tell you that all this is just activity. All this is just activity. And just because you do it again, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have worshipped. And it starts and it endures and it remains in the heart. I'll tell you, worship is not a head thing. It's not a hand thing. It truly is a heart thing. And out of all of Scripture, I'll tell you the greatest thing you could ever do is go back to the very beginning. To go back to the, to the original, what worship was about. And we've had some amazing preachings on worship this last few weeks on Wednesday. Um, and this last Wednesday we had Palma preach. And wow, what a dissecting of what worship is. I never knew there was so, so much depth into it until uh, Pastor Jose Palma came up here and started to dissect every single word of what worship is about. And sometimes we need an understanding of that because we don't know what it is. And sometimes uh, uh, many people don't worship because they don't even know what worship is. And I thank God that, that we're continuing a series like this on worship. But we need to go back to the original. And uh, I know a lot of you, well, not a lot of you, but 
if, if it was a lot of you, we'd be having a lot of antique cars. But I know we have, a, we have a gentleman in this house that he comes in with these antique cars. And they're authentic. And, and people that have these cars take a lot of pride in these old cars that they have all the original parts. They got the original engine. They got the original leather, the original everything, original paint. And that makes it even more valuable. And I'll tell you, God is the same thing when it comes to worship. He wants it to be from the very original. He doesn't want something that you've made and called it worship, that it was something created by you, but something that was created by him and for him. And so we go to the very beginning. This is the very first time in Scripture where worship was ever found, and that was in Genesis 22 that we just read. And today, I want, if you're writing notes, I want you to write down the five elements, the five things that make up authentic worship, that make up true worship. And these aren't my opinions. These aren't our thoughts. This is the word of God, and this is the original, what worship is all about. So let's go ahead, and the first one, if you're writing notes, these are the five elements, the five things that make up authentic worship. Number one is revelation. And let's read it, verse one. And this, and, and God had, um, God hadn't spoken to Abraham in a while. And here in this scripture, God reveals himself to him. And he says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, here I am. Abraham replied. Verse 2. And this was God's revelation to him. I take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I'll tell you, true worship is always based on a revelation from God. Where God will come into your life and he'll have a revelation. He'll have a word that he'll speak into your life. Where you will have a direct encounter with God. And this is necessary. This is a necessary element to have true worship. You can't have true worship unless you've had an encounter. Unless you've had a revelation from God. And it starts with that. And it started with Abraham. You may not like what worship is about when you read it in the scriptures. Sometimes we get very comfortable knowing, thinking what worship is when we come to the house of the Lord and hearing the beautiful sounds of music here and just singing along and we have the wrong concept of what that is. But we need to go to the original. And you need to have a revelation with God. You need to have an encounter with God. Do you realize that without him, you are truly nothing? Do you realize that? If you don't realize that and you truly don't believe that with him, you are nothing and you have nothing, then I'll tell you, you've never had an encounter with God. Because when, you had, when you've had an encounter with God, you know you've had everything. You know you have everything you need. You know you have everything you want. You could lack everything else, but you have God, and you know you have everything. And then you can worship. Matthew 6.33 says to seek first the kingdom of God. That's the first thing you need to do. A revelation, and to know a revelation of who God is. Do you know who God is in your life? 
Do you know he's your creator? Do you know he's your provider? Do you know that he loves you? When you have a revelation of who God is, just read his word. This is a love letter of who he is. This is a description, a detailed description of who God is and how he's crazy for you. When you have that revelation of who God is and he tells you, here I am. And he sends you off to do and give worship to him and offer up a sacrifice to him. Your very best to him. Then you'll begin to have true worship in your life. And I'll tell you, Abraham, I can imagine that that must have been so hard to hear the news of what he had to do. But you know, immediately, you know what Abraham did? He, he began to prepare for that offering. He began to prepare for that worship before God. And that's number two. It's preparation. Number one is revelation. Number two is preparation. And we're going to read that in verse three. It says, early the next morning. He woke up early for this. I don't know if anybody would wake up excited to know they got to sacrifice their son early in the morning. You maybe want to spend some, some time with him all day if you knew that was the last time to live. And maybe at night, very late at night, 11.50, you do go ahead and do your sacrifice. But God wanted him to do this early in the morning. This was the heart of Abraham. Early in the next morning, Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. We spend time preparing for everything in life. Everything in life except worship. We spend hours preparing for work. We spend time preparing for vacations. We look up for the best deals where we're going to stay in for our hotel. We're gonna, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We spend time preparing for school. Even before school starts, we're preparing for it. We go to Walgreens and we get, or Publix, and we get the, the, the best deals on getting our, our school supplies. Buy one, get one. I'm going to get my folder ready. It's going to be all crispy, clean. I'm going to get my new books. I don't want the used book. We prepare for school. We prepare for our exams. We spend time preparing for our exams. We don't want to fail. We want to do good. And these aren't bad things to prepare for. We spend time preparing our meals. Some of you cook some good meals at home, like my wife. But there's something special about when you spend time cooking for your meals and you put that in the crock pot and it cooks for a while and I have these microwave meals. But we spend even time preparing for our meals. We even spend time preparing for bed. We want to make sure the AC is just at the right temperature, that it's cold. That it's just, I mean, it's not, it's not too cold, it's not too hot. That when you can put on the blanket right over you, it's just like perfect. It's just, it's got to be like that. Because if you don't have the blanket on, and, and, and that means it's too hot. And if you have like too much blankets on you, it's too cold. It's just got to be perfect where you just have one blanket on you. It's just that comfortable feeling, right? So we prepare even for bed. But very few of us take time to prepare ourselves for worship. We don't prepare ourselves for worship. You say, I didn't know I had to prepare ourselves for worship. Now, we prepare ourselves to go to church. We get up early in the morning for church. We brush our teeth, I hope. We put some deodorant on. I pray. 
we get dressed and we come to church. We grab our Bibles. We load up the family in the car. We head over to the house of the Lord. See, the typical Christian is very well prepared for church. I'm going to say that again. The typical Christian is very well prepared for church, but not all of them are prepared for worship. I didn't know I had to be prepared for worship. Abraham prepared for worship. By first having a revelation of who God is in his life. And then he prepared the necessary elements. Before he ever left his house, he started to chop the wood. Before he even left his house, he got the donkeys together. He saddled them up with the necessary elements. He put the stones that needed to put there. He had everything that he needed to do. He didn't wait to get into the house of the Lord and start chopping the wood. See, he did that way before he even got to church into his place of worship. The word tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Do you understand what that means? To enter his courts, his gates with thanksgiving. That means before you even walk into the gates of church, there's got to be a thankful heart. Way before you walk in. Way before you walk into his courts, there's got to be a song in your mouth. There's got to be praise way before. And that requires preparation. Somewhere back home, there's been some worship on your mind. There's been some worship in your hearts that we got ourselves ready to come to the house of the Lord. And instead of sitting and waiting and, or waiting to feel, uh, to feel like worshiping here, we should walk with a song in our heart, with praise on our lips for God. It's preparation. It's preparing our hearts where we say today is the Lord's day. And we're going to gather our family and we're going to honor and worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. It isn't going to be a fake worship. It's going to be real today. And I can't wait to get to church. And we're going to start to thank God on the way here. We're going to start early in the morning. You say, that doesn't happen in my house. We should be listening to the Lord in the morning. We should be preparing our spirits and preparing our hearts. I guarantee you, you get 400 people in this place prepared for worship, and you see what happens. You will see a dynamic change in this place. You need, we need to prepare our minds, and you need to turn off all secular thinking in your life. All your worries all your pains, all your stress, you need to leave it outside of here. Give it up to God in your altar at home. Don't come here to start cutting up wood. Don't come here to start building an altar. Build an altar at home. Cut up the wood at home. Prepare for worship. Prepare for that offering. Prepare for that sacrifice. And there are things that are trying to distract me. In the morning. There are things that steal my attention away. Things that are trying to steal my heart away of what God wants to do in my life. 
And I'll tell you, this is the most important thing you can do on a Sunday. The most important thing you can do on a Sunday is to worship him. And it's not coincidence that everything just goes well in your home all week long. But then it just happens to be that on Sunday, why is it right on Sunday? Is it in that morning where you start to fight with your wife? Where you start to fight with your husband? Where the kids just start to act up and don't cooperate so that you can get to church on time? You rush into the car. Everybody's going crazy. Everybody's screaming. The kids are fighting in the back seat. Why is that on Sunday out of all days? It's no coincidence. Your car breaks down on Sunday. No wonder you get here and you don't feel like worshiping. And let me tell you something. Worship is intentional. You don't get into quality worship because you feel good. It's not about emotions. You got to be prepared to worship God. Hallelujah. Number three. Number one is revelation. Number two is preparation. Number three is separation. Let's read verse four. And verse 5, it says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Verse 5, he said to his servants, the people he was traveling with, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Listen to this. He told the servant, stay here, we're going to go up, and I'm going to go with the boy, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. There was a certain point in the journey where Abraham had to separate himself from his servants. And he was, it was very possible that he knew that his servants didn't probably understand the plan of God for his life. Where he did it, he probably wasn't going to understand the revelation that God gave him. He probably thought, man, if I were to go with my servants up to this mountain and start to worship God and start to prepare an offering and start to sacrifice my son like God told me to do, these guys are not going to understand me and they're going to interrupt. They're going to affect my worship, my offering with what God wants me to do. And I'll tell you, sometimes you need to separate. Sometimes you need to separate yourself from anything that's going to hindrance your worship. Anything that's going to distract you from worship. And these things can keep you and inhibit you from worshiping. Authentic worship. And, and, and they need to be separated. Anything that will hindrance you. And I'll tell you one of the things that will hindrance you is your pride. One of the things that will hindrance you from worshiping God is your pride. Is your shame. Watch this. John 12, verse 42 and 43. Look what pride will do. It says, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, many of them, even among the leaders, believed in him. They believed in him. But because the Pharisees... They would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Listen to that for a second. Many of them were among them and believed. But because the Pharisees were around, they would fear that they're going to get kicked out. 
And sometimes we come to the house of the Lord and we're, we're concerned about what people, the, the person next to us is going to think, what the person behind us is going to think, the person in front of us is going to think. And I'll tell you, you need to separate yourselves from that. You need to get rid of that pride. You need to humble yourself and say, I don't care what people think. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going I'm to praise the Lord. I'm going to worship him freely because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If I want to shout it out, I'm going to shout it out. If I'm going to raise my hands, I don't care what people think, I'm going to raise my hands. If I want to dance, I'm going to dance. Last week, everybody was dancing. I know there was people saying, that guy's crazy dancing. I don't care what people think. My worship isn't for the person next to me. It's for my God. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. And there is freedom in worship. And nothing should stop you from that. Your pride shouldn't stop you from that. Your shame shouldn't stop you from that. You need to worship God freely. You need to separate yourselves from anything that's going to hindrance your worship with God. Anything. It's not worth it. When you really want to worship, there comes a moment you have to forget who's around you. When you really get lost in worship, you don't care who thinks what about you. But right in the middle of that, pride will tell you, you don't look like a fool. Worship God in spirit and in truth. If it's from the heart, I'll tell you something. It's worship. If it's from the heart, it will be real. It's worship. King David dressed with his robe and his crown. He was walking, and he's all dressed like a king would be dressed. But the Bible says when he saw the presence of God coming, he just flew out of that clothes and started dancing before the Lord. What everybody was thinking, what people thought how crazy he was. But he didn't do it because he wanted to form a show of dancing before the Lord naked. He was doing it because, man, it was just a joy he couldn't stop. It was something that was occurring in his heart. And I don't expect people to do that, please, here this morning. But you get the point that when there's something real in your life, when there's a true encounter with God, and you've separated yourself from God, when you've had a revelation from God, when you've prepared for worship and you've separated yourself from all these hindrances, I'll tell you true worship will come out in every form. You will raise your hands. You'll shout it out. It will be real. It will be authentic. Imagine in this place having authentic worship from every single person that walked in here. Again, we prepare for church, but few prepare for worship. And that needs to happen before you come into this place. Come into this, his courts with thanksgiving. Come to his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Guilt, sin in your life can be a hindrance for your worship. Shame, feeling unworthy to worship God. Like, how can I stand here in this place and lift holy hands to God? How can I do that? You need to get rid of that. 
His word is clear. He tells us in Psalms, how far has the Lord taken our sins from us? As far as the east is from the west. So far that he removed our transgressions from us. You need to believe that. You come here today, I'll tell you there's no condemnation in Jesus. The moment you confess it, you're forgiven. Come before his presence and say, Lord, that's it. Even before you walk into this place, prepare yourself by separating yourself from that. God will free you. Believe that. Leave the shame behind. Leave the guilt, the sin behind. And worship God freely. Forget about who's around you. Number one, revelation. Number two, preparation. Number three, separation. Number four is dedication. And let's read verse 6. We're going to go 6 through 10. Watch this. He did not say this because he cared. Abraham took the wood. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as he took as the two of them went on together. Verse 7. Isaac spoke and said to his father, Abraham, he says, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the offering we are going to give to the Lord? Verse 8. I can't imagine what's going through Abraham's mind. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He laid his son, imagine that for a second, laying down your most prized possession. Your greatest treasure of all. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham dedicated his life. Abraham dedicated his son, his family to God. Everything was about God. Don't miss this for a second. See, it wasn't like Abraham had 10 sons he had one. And he was special because he promised, God promised him a son years earlier. And that Isaac was the son that was going to carry on the family line and grow into a great nation. So this wasn't just on any ordinary son. This was a son that behind that there were so many promises. So many promises. But because Abram's, Abram's heart was so dedicated to the Lord, his, his life was dedicated to the Lord, his family was dedicated to the Lord, he was obedient to the Lord. No matter the price, he did it with no complaint. He was dedicated. And as Abraham stood holding the knife, ready to plunge it into his son, he was completely, at that moment, dead to himself. 
Abraham was dead to himself. It wasn't about Abraham at that moment. It was all about God. And worship is all about God. It isn't about you. You need to come here crucified. Your flesh crucified. Like it's not about me. I don't come here on Sunday morning because the music just makes me feel good. Because it makes me cry. It makes me emotional. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's wow. And I'll tell you, it is wow. And it will make you cry. The presence of God will do that. It will break you. But worship isn't about you. It's about him. It's about you giving glory to your God. It's about you dedicating your life to him, dedicating your entire existence, everything about it, to God. Absolutely everything. Authentic worship. I'll tell you something, true worship will cost you something. Authentic worship is going to cost you something. Don't think you can just come here and say, I want to benefit from just worship. No, it's going to cost you something. Just like I said with, with the illustration of the diamond ring. It's got to go through pressure. It's got to go through the fire before you get some beautiful diamond. And the same thing goes with you. If you want something real, if you want, just like you open up those couches and you smell that that. that real authentic leather i'll tell you god wants to smell the aroma of real worship in you and real worship that smells like real worship is one that's gone through the fire is one that's been had pressure and pressure in their life and still responds and says i'm going to worship god regardless i love the story of paul and Silas. one of the greatest stories that i've ever read in the bible how these are men of God who, while doing God's will, preaching the gospel, they were put into prison. They were beaten. I mean, it, it would kind of stink, right? You're doing God's will. You're in the middle of doing what God wants for you to do. And you're put into prison. You're beaten. But it says that as he was, he was chained down and he was in the most inner part of the cells, the Bible says that at the midnight hour, at the time you at least expect to worship God in your trial, when you're depressed at home and nothing's going your way, in the midnight hour, at the time that you least expected, that's the time these guys began to worship. And something powerful occurs. The chains were broken. The prison was set free. People were saved. Families were saved because of that. All because of worship. Worship is powerful. You come to the house of, of the Lord and you start to worship God. True worship. A worship that it doesn't matter what's taking place in your life. A dedicated worship. Watch out what's going to happen in this place. When it's real. Watch fire from heaven come here and consume our lives Watch a people on fire, not just one person, not just two people, five people, a church. God wants us to be a church that's on fire for him. And I know there are many people here who are on fire for the Lord. I know that we've got true worshipers in this place. And God's called you to dedicate your life, your entire existence to him so that there can be true worship. 
How many times have we come to church? We come to this place and we give God our leftovers. Our jobs get our best. Our families at time get our best. Everything we do as far as recreation, the planning for it, it gets our best energy, our best time, our best offering, our best money, our best everything. But when we come to God, we feel somehow that, that if we just show up to church, God will be thankful. We feel that, we just, that if we just show up to church and sit here and lift our hands and sing some songs, that, that God will be pleased with that enough. No. God wants your best. God shouldn't feel thankful just because we got out of bed this morning and showed up here. Worship is more about our attitude than our activity. Worship is more about our attitude than what we do. God offered us his best. God gave us his very best, his very own. He didn't give up something that was easy for him to give. He looked around heaven and he's like, what can I give in this place? What is the most prized possession I have? And he found it. And he took his most prized possessions and he put it on a cross. It was beaten. It was slain. It was an offering for you. It was an offering for me. Because he loved you. It was his greatest possession. It was his best. Number five, proclamation. Number one was revelation. Number two was preparation. Number three, separation. Number four, dedication. Number five, proclamation. Verse 11, we need to proclaim the nature and the work of God. And Abraham did this. It says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Verse 12, watch this. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld anything from your son, from me. Your son, your only son, your very best. You haven't withheld anything from me. You've given me your best. You've given me true worship. You've given me authentic worship. Your offering was acceptable to me today because you gave me your best. Verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. God provides. Verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. Verse 16. 
And said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, verse 17, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Verse 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We need to proclaim. We need to proclaim the nature of and the work of God, and say how good God is. Your words have incredible power. What you say is powerful. If you have faith like a mustard seed, the Bible says, and if you say to this mountain, if you say to this mountain, be moved, it will be moved. He didn't say if you think, if this mountain will move. He didn't say if you wish, if this mountain would move. Or even believe. He said, if you say to this mountain. Why did he say that? Because there's something special, something amazing, something powerful that happens in the human spirit. When we speak a word. God always tells us to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth. And you need to confess the goodness of God. Who God is everywhere you go with every person around you. And that's why God wants us to speak in worship and say to him, there's no God like our God. When you come to this place of worship, when you come to your place of worship, you need to call that out. You need to say, Lord, you are creator of heaven and earth. You are the king of glory. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There's no one like you, God. You're an awesome God. You've been so good to me. You've always provided I'm a blessed man. And do you know why? He wants you to speak it because when you speak it, guess what? Your mind hears it. Your spirit responds to it. And the more that you clear, declare the goodness of God, the more your circumstances hear it too. If you begin to declare the goodness of God, who God is, if you start to t change your language around and stop saying the filth that comes out of your mouth, the complaining that comes out of your mouth and start to bless instead of curse and you start to praise and lift up the name of Jesus, guess what? Your circumstances are going to start listening. And there's power in that word. Your addictions are going to say, I'm out of here. When you start to proclaim the goodness of God. There's power in your word. There's power in your proclamation. You need to say, I love you to your wife, to your kids. But when we declare it to God, when we speak the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to God, that's what he calls a sacrifice of praise. It's not just closing your eyes and lifting your hands. True worship declares who God is. You're so good. You're so good, Lord. There's no one like you. I don't know. I don't even know where I'd be without you. Is that your prayer? Is that your proclamation? Can you proclaim that today? I don't know where I would be without God. I knew where I was without God. I was in the pit. But God loved me. God rescued me. 
And guess what? Because he did, because he loved me, I love him. Because he told me who I am, I'm going to tell him who he is. And I'm going to tell everybody who he is. And I'm going to tell everybody what he's done in my life. And I'm going to proclaim his goodness. And that's worship. To praise. It's not just coming and singing some songs. You need to declare it. You need to praise him. I don't deserve my wife to have the wife I have. Kenny now doesn't deserve me. I don't deserve the family I have, the children I have. I don't even know how I ended up with someone as special as her. Lord, you've been so good to me. You've given me a beautiful wife. You've given me beautiful children. I don't even deserve to preach your gospel. But somehow you have me here doing it. You see, when you say those things to the Lord, God, I know how, how good you've been in my life. I should, I should have been dead, but you spared me. You love me. There something happens in the heart of God. Something moves in the heart of God. And he will bless you abundantly like he blessed Abraham for proclaiming who he was, for doing and giving an authentic worship before God. I'll tell you, your reason to worship God Listen to this. Your reason to worship God is not for the benefits that God will bless you. Your reason to worship God is because of who he is. That's it. Because he deserves worship. Because he deserves praise. Because he's a good God. That's enough to worship God. He loves you. And your response to that should be love right back. I love you, God, because you first loved me. True, true worship happens that way. When I was a kid, growing up in school, I was a bit slow in school. And I was a, a bit of a troublemaker in school. I was called the clown of the class, the worst kid in the class, almost expelled several times, suspended several times. Detentions, I couldn't even count them. My mom had to come to the school, beg, cry, please don't kick him out. Give him a chance. The teachers would talk bad about me. The kids would talk bad about me. In fact, in eighth grade, they wrote on my shirt, they put confused. They would call me airhead. I was called different names. And it was all a joke. But it's not a good thing to hear as a kid. I had teachers growing up that told me, Kenny, you won't amount to anything in life. And you know what, Kenny? You, you continue this way, and you're going to end up in death row. In fact, we're going to make a row in the class, and it's this last row right here. And everybody who's a troublemaker, Kenny, you're the first one that's going to sit there. This is called death row. You guys don't exist. I'll never forget those words. I'll never forget that pain. I didn't like to hear that. Kenny, you're going to be a dropout one day. You're going to end up in prison one day. 
I'm not exaggerating. This really happened in my life. I'll tell you, God gave me a new name. God told me who I was and who I really was. God told me he loved me. God told me he was crazy about me. And when I began to read the scriptures and I began to flip through these pages that I had never done my whole life, at the age of 17, I came across so many scriptures. I said, I cannot believe how much a God loves me, how much he cares for me, how much he thinks about me. Let's have the worship team come up. And the Lord took me to Psalm 139. And you got to hear this because this changed my life. Psalm 139 verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God, you searched me and you know who I am despite of what people think about me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You see, God knows so much about you. Why is that important, Kenny? Because when someone knows so much about you and is concerned so much about you, it means they love you. It means they're crazy about you. When I ask my wife daily... That blows her mind away to know that I'm concerned about her. I'll tell you, it's the greatest thing when, when someone is, is sick and you pray for them and you call them the next day. Hey, how are you feeling? You know what it tells them? That you're thinking about them. You know what it tells them? That you love them. And when God thinks about you, his thoughts for you, they blew my mind away. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, man, he knows so much about me. That even before I speak, Lord, you know it completely. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Tell you, God, you're everything to me. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. You never leave me, God. You're always there. Wow. He wants to be with me wherever I go. He wants to hang out with me. God called Abraham his friend. That's why Abraham never wanted to let go of God. That's why Abraham was willing to let go and give his best to him. Because he knew that he had a knit relationship with him. A tight relationship with him. A God that will always be with him by his side. Who will never leave him nor forsake him. That when he gave him a promise, it was true. Verse 13. And I'm almost finished. Read 
made this. It says, for you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew me then. God knew who I was then. Is this for real? That God knew me before I was born. I praise you because you made me. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm special to you. Despite of what people say about me, think about me. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know it. David's saying, I know it. I'm a man after your own heart, God. Trust me, I know your works are great. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. You have a book about me where I'm written in your book. I want my name in his book. That's like the greatest book of all. He's got a book that has your name on it. Where all the days ordained for you are written in it. Does that not blow you away? He's crazy about you. Verse 17, one of my favorite verses of all scripture, one of them that changed my life forever. It said, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How precious. What you think about me? How vast is the sum of them? How many thoughts do you have for me, God? Can you tell me? Verse 18 tells me. It says, where I count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Come on. If you were to go to the beach and pick up a bucket of sand. And I did this one of the last times I went to the beach. And I just, I had some sand in my hand. And I showed my wife. And I said, isn't that powerful? Look how much grains of sand I have just in the palm of my hand. And God has more thoughts than this. And this is just my hand. Imagine if I just grab a bucket. Those little, little grains of sand. That's for you are even greater his thoughts about you are more than you can even count when I awake I am still with you verse 23 search me God and know my heart tests me and know my anxious thoughts I'll tell you God knows us and God knows who we are and God allowed all that to happen in my life when I was at a young age but today they are healed and they are scars that I will use to show others of the goodness of God they are scars to tell other people that I have a new name. That I'm a child of a king. That I'm a friend of God. That he's my God. That he's my father. That he's my comforter. And I will praise him. 
Come on, let's praise him. What's my reason to worship? What's my reason to worship? Because of who God is. And because he's crazy about me. Because he knows everything about me. That's enough for me to say, wow, I worship you. I praise you. God wants to bring his kingdom into your life. In the beginning, God breathed his breath in us. His life in us. He breathed life in you. And I love how Louis Giglio put it. He said, God breathed his breath in us, right? And his life in us. But worship is us giving our breath back to him. You have a life in you that God breathed in you. Worship is giving that breath, that life right back to God. Nothing else. Nothing less, nothing more. We worship in response to who God is. His character, His nature, His love for us. Let's stand this morning. And as we come to a close, let us offer our sacrifice of praise before Him. Giving thanks to God. Let us have a, a change if, of what we think worship is. And let us come, let, let us now wait for uh, um, Claudio or, or Mel or the worship team to, to make us feel or, or, or get into worship. No, worship starts way before that. Before you come in, that revelation that you've had with God, if you've never had a revelation with God, if you've never had an encounter with God, a true encounter with God, in other words, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, don't leave here without that because that's just step one. You want real worship? You want authentic worship? You want worship that's acceptable before Him? That has a sweet smelling aroma before God that He goes, ooh, that's good. He's breathing it back into me. I smell it. I know it's real. It isn't fake. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I'll tell you it's the greatest thing you can ever do. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your sin. It doesn't matter of your addiction. It doesn't matter how you come. If you're here in this place, forget the person in front of you. Forget the person behind you, the person next to you. If you want to give your heart to Jesus and you've never done that, raise your hand in this place. God bless you. Is there anyone else that has never given their heart to Jesus? And that wants to give their heart right now to Him. If there's any of you that have turned your heart away from God, and there's a hindrance that you just can't worship Him, you weren't created for that. You were created to worship Him.